0: The Old Testament reading can be found on page 21 of the Church Bibles along the screen. Hagar and Ishmael. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, "The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my maidservant Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abraham had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress Then Sarai said to Abraham, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abraham said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants, that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now with child, and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me, for she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Baalahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abraham gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abraham was 86 years old, when Hagar bore him Ishmael. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Heavenly Father, as we uh, come together, hold this morning around this story, I ask that you hold us gently, that you carry us through it, holding some of the things that we hoped for and haven't happened in your hands. Amen. Amen. I wonder how patient you are. (laughs) Because you know the gags there. But I wonder how many of you, you there's a little pause. What's he doing? Oh, he's fussing around with his sleeves and he's finding a bit of paper and, and what have you. Uh, but I wonder how many of you actually, if, you, if I'd gone on, your mind would have started to wander. What's for lunch? Mm. Can I get the lawn done before it rains again? Because we get distracted, don't we? And, and, and sometimes there's a void, isn't there? There's a gap in which we can fill all sorts of things. So I wonder if you were fidgety in that little gap. I wonder if it felt uncomfortable. Maybe this for you. I wonder if you were wondering what was going to happen next. But maybe that would be it. Maybe the sermon would be. I wonder how patient you are, because quite frankly, that's quite a good one. <laughs> <laughs> you stop there. <laughs> but I wonder when we look at this story, how much it provokes us to think about things about ourselves when we uh, when we're antagonised or when we we're unsettled. Uh, can we sort of see what's happening? Can we trust that there's something going on, that there's something deeper happening in our lives or even in God's life that includes us? And, and do we need to know what it looks like before we actually take a step? And what if it doesn't look like what we thought it would look like? What if the steps that we've taken, if our journey with God has not looked like what we hoped it would? It has not turned out how we expected. it. I was minded a few weeks ago listening to Sue Fallon give her um, testimony how so many things that she wanted were in you know God did almost the opposite. And it's not a disobedience in, in, in us sometimes, but it's just this is what you, uh, this is what I think you'll be really good at, says God. And we can't make those decisions. He, he, he can His decisions about who we really are, are are the important ones. So when we look at this story, uh, and it's a difficult chapter, let's be honest. Uh, it speaks about these sorts of things. There, you see, let's just sort of bring ourselves up to speed. Abram and Sarai are in Canaan, and they are there because God told Abram to leave his country and family and go to a place God would show him. And we have followed that walk, and God has appeared and said, this is the place. They're there now. But it's occupied by other people, Canaanites and Perizzites, town dwellers and country folk. And so far, they've been living there and worshipping there for about 10 years. 10 years. I think some of us, myself included, find 10 minutes unbearable sometimes. And God has also promised Abram a huge number of descendants. And that has not happened. And it's in the middle of this promise that's unfulfilled that hasn't happened that we see the family start to crack and fracture break down and crack appear and we can recognize that sort of stress his conviction doesn't have to be this way around his conviction and her frustration because she too has left her home and her family and she has traveled with Abram and if you've been following this story She's been passed off as Abram's sister. She's been married off to Pharaoh, of Abram, Pharaoh knowing that she was actually Abram's uh, wife. She's had the worry of Abram going off to fight in battles, and all the time her barrenness remains. The child, the one you need to start this line of descendants, just hasn't come. And we can only, I can only imagine how that feels. But I know many of you know how that feels. Children haven't come. But it's that sense, isn't it, of I thought it would be richer and better than this. It's that sense of loss. Sense even perhaps of betrayal. Why? Why did God do this just to bring me to this point? When we uh, left our home in Brighton and moved to Oxford to train at Vicar Factory, everything had kind of fallen into place. House was okay. In fact, they wanted less rent than we expected. See, everything seemed to work okay. You know, All the things that we thought we'd needed would be there, except school places for the older two. James was... Kathy was still pregnant with James. And we had done everything we could, starting very early on, uh, to, to negotiate and let the LEA, the Education Authority, know that we were coming, where we would be living, children what sort of school places we'd like, and all of these things. So they knew where we lived, how old our children were, and what sort of place. And it was the single most stressful time in our life because terms started on a Tuesday, and on the Friday before, we had no school places for either of them. And it was really hard really really hard it was the most stressful testing time and then they said you know because what they offered was you can have a school place here and a school place there and Kathy's six months pregnant with James and I had to be at college at eight so I knew where the burden would fall and you can sense that in the sense when Sarai's story you know where the burden's falling on this descendants business don't you on her overwhelming sense of I've got to do this it's going to be me and so it was an enormously it was not a happy moment it was not a happy thing everything we tried failed every door we pushed was shut every phone call or letter just seemed to be batted off and there were no school places and I think I cracked when David said I want to go to school and I didn't have a place and it was really, really quite horrible. And I can remember, why did you bring me here just to let me down on this bit? This was the easy thing. This should have been good. Don't remember that anger and the frustration that builds up when you get into that situation. So please don't think that I, uh, you know, that <laughs> you know, we know we get into situations and they're not what we expect. They're not what we hope for. And yet somehow we're clinging to God and we're wondering what the heck is going on. I'd like to look at these characters a little bit, and then I'll come back to that story. Uh, Joyce Baldwin, in her excellent little commentary on on these stories, uh, says about Sarai, The more clearly God's promises were spelt out to Abram, the more clearly Sarai saw herself as the failure. The more it was built up, the less likely it seemed to her that it would happen. Now, that's a horrible situation to be in. I suspect most, many of us will have come across uh, ministers probably who say, it's going to be this, it's going to be this. And you look at yourself and you go, not from where I'm sitting. It doesn't, sometimes the reality, this reality, the one of God and the one that we're actually living in seems so far apart and there's a good argument to say that Sarah is actually traumatized by this continual sense of loss and failure. These bereavements that keep going, you know, her home, her country. She's lost her in-laws, she's lost everything. She's been traded off, all this stuff that's been happening to her. and a sense, her prayers have not been answered. And so perhaps her words tell us more. Look at verse 2. If you've got your Bible open, have a look at verse 2. They're living in a promise, remember. And Sarai's reaction is, the Lord has kept me from having children. It's the opposite of the promise, isn't it? Her conclusion in the light of this is that it's his doing. He's kept me from this so far. And she's reasoned that that was that. Remember a few weeks ago, I said that at 65, you know, she was considered very attractive. We're 10 years on, and Abram isn't getting any younger either. And so it's a quite a power. You can see where the reason uh, starts to come in uh, and, and thinking it through. And so she has this plan. She, it's, it's, it's according to local law and custom. It was quite common practice. Um, because it was so important to have children then as it is now. So many people have that burden. And so she encourages Abram uh, to sleep with Hagar. And under the law of the land of the time, uh, any child Hagar had would become Sarai's, because she was the head of the household. And so she she comes up with this plan. And in verse 3, look at these words really carefully. So after Abram had been whoops, excuse me, there, uh, living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. I don't, we don't really, we're not really clear who wrote this. I mean, it's probably Moses, but there's a number of other sources going on. But whoever wrote this goes straight back to Genesis 3. These words are reminiscent of the fall. Eve took the fruit and gave it to her husband. What the writer is trying to tell us is that there's a repeat of the failure to trust God. Failure to keep to his word. The writer sees this. Yes, he may be sympathetic, but he's also saying, look at the failure that can come out of trying to work it out ourselves. And look at what happens when we get through this story. Took so so these words are reminiscent of the fall, took and gave. If you look at the words, Eve took the fruit and gave it to her husband, Genesis 3, verse 6. And so her plan has come out of her reasoning from where she is. She's concluded it's not possible. It can't happen. God cannot be trusted. How many of us, we were talking about this at Midweek Communion actually, how often is God can't do it our underlying fear? I'll leave you with that one. (laughs) Let's look at Abram because what happens is that Sarai can't really, could never have really anticipated the emotional upheaval that her plan would bring even if it succeeded and you can only imagine the hurt now that's going on within this little family group. Um, Sarai's hurt spills over into mistreating Hagar and then she blames Abram as well. You're responsible for all the wrong I'm suffering and I suspect she means more than the the actual situation but it all comes out there. It's not being dealt with, it's not being communicated and boom, it all lands in Abram's face. And Abram in this chapter has had quite a tough time, hasn't he? The previous chapter, if you took the time later to read uh, chapter 15, We find he has an amazing encounter with God, who reaffirms the things that he has promised. He says, look, I'm making a covenant with you. I'm making a serious God-shaped covenant with you. I'm taking you seriously, Abram, and I want you to take me seriously. And he has this amazing encounter with God. And that's in answer to Abram's question, how can I know that this will all be true? So God says, I'll show you what. You and I will make a deal. And I'll show you the depth of that, and I will do the deal the way that you understand deals should be made. Now, if you've had that kind of encounter, if you've had that kind of word or that promise from God, doesn't it shape you? Doesn't it excite you? Doesn't it sort of say, yes, this is what I'm going? After all, what is Abram's journey all about? The Lord appeared to Abram and said, leave your country, follow to a land I'll show you. He's had these encounters, and so he should feel Uh, Convicted that God is good for his word. But it's ten years on. Those words seem faint. Those things haven't happened yet. And he's starting to sort of wonder. And it's interesting, isn't it? Abram, therefore, goes along with it. While the words aren't quite the same, the actions are. Adam took the apple and ate. He received, Abram received Hagar And slept with her. And so he agrees with what Sarah has planned. He doesn't interject and say, hold on a minute, why are we here? He doesn't say, you know what, I had this amazing dream or vision or encounter with God the other night. He didn't say, look how he's been good to us so far. Look at the way he bailed me out when I messed up in Egypt. He doesn't say these things. He doesn't doesn't bring them to mind. He goes along with her plan. And when it all falls flat on, and it all goes wrong, and Hagar starts to despise Sarai, and Sarai can't bear the sight of Hagar, Abram says, you deal with it. Brilliant thing to be able to do, isn't it? Not my problem. (laughs) But it is. (laughs) It is, isn't it? And then, so he says to her, do what you think best, whatever you think best. He kind of washes his hands of the whole scenario. I don't, I don't understand how he could, could, could do that, but I think we probably do ourselves in our lives when we say, I'm supposed to be following and embodying this promise that God's got in my life. And sometimes we just go, you know what, I can't deal with that. <laughs> and we wash our hands and we say, no thanks. Let's have a quick look at Hagar. First thing I thought when I read this chapter was she would be in the she too, me too movement. Poor girl. Oh, poor girl. You know, um, she's been, at some point, she's been bought into this family as a servant, and that's you know, something of status. You know, she's Sarai's servant. Uh, but, you know, now she's the victim of Sarai's plan. Uh, she's become pregnant. Her social status has changed quite radically. Yeah, I'm the one who's got the child within the family unit. She's the one who could uh, bring this to happen. She's the one who can, uh, apparently, uh, bring part of this promise together. Sarah's never managed that. I cannot imagine the friction. I cannot imagine the ways they looked at each other. I, I think it's quite a, a, a real story, though, isn't it? I don't have to watch much EastEnders to know how this plays out. But she despises, rather than rejoicing, that Sarai's plan has sort of worked. she starts to lord it over Sarai, and the friction carries on. And then she finds herself the object of Sarai's wrath and anger, because Sarah never actually thought her plan would work, and now it's worked. she hates the idea. I can't, you know, can't imagine what that feels like. And then, and then... Abram doesn't give back her up and give her the support that he could do. Yeah, legally, morally, Hagar is now his wife. But he won't legalize that and make her his wife. So she's been cheated. She's been discarded and abused. What a horrible thing to do. And let's have a quick look at Ishmael. because there's a child, Because at the minute, there is a child in the middle of all this. Um, And we discover that when they're they're away, they run, they're thrown out, and they find themselves near a spring in the desert. And there's this child. And I think it's quite important just to get this right, because one of the key differences between Christianity and Islam is understanding this, 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 this moment, this family. And we discover that God is kind, the angel of the Lord, who turns out to be God, in verse 13. The angel of the Lord comes and blesses and and talks to them, and I'll come to that in a moment. But look at the blessing um, in verse 10. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants, they will be too numerous to count. Ishmael is part of God. Ishmael is part of Abraham, that his descendants would be too numerous. But he did not include all nations will be blessed through him. That's missing in this bit, isn't it? And sometimes I hear commentators or you know, people writing articles saying, oh, well, you know, all of Abraham's descendants, yes, but the blessing is not through Ishmael. It's been omitted. Because God's plan was to do things through Sarai and Abram. So it's an interesting and difficult tension. And you can see the rivalry has spilled out in all sorts of horrible ways. And then we find that God is in this too. Thankfully, somebody needs to come in and help out. And he comes to comfort Hagar. And it's wonderful, isn't it? Because she recognizes, I have seen the one who sees me. In the middle of all this, in the middle of all this strife, Hagar discovers that she has been observed, that her suffering is not, nobody that God is not ignorant of her suffering, that he knows about it, that he wants to do something about it, that he wants to intervene, that he wants to comfort her. She discovers a kindness of God in the middle of a desert thrown out of a family that wouldn't help, couldn't deal with her. And he hears and sees her distress. And interestingly, he then instructs her to go back. Go back. You're part of a covenant community. You are part of Abram's family. What are your chances of survival out here? Go back. Eat humble pie. Return to the people of God. Return to them. It seems harsh, but it's about in reconciling Hagar into that family. It's about his promise to Ishmael. If Ishmael's left in the desert, what chance does he have? Not much. But he hears and he sees our distress. God has promises over us all. The reality is we don't know what they are. There are some big ones. I will be with you. You can be with me. Whoever believes in me, even though they die, will rise again, will live. But the day to day stuff is much more vague. And sometimes it's not even written down. We don't know what it is. But we are in relationship with a God who hears and sees our distress. So when we were trying to find school places, I found myself in prayer. And I felt the Lord or heard the Lord say, Do it yourself. Not actually those words, sorry. He said, you need to dig me a well for me to fill it. You need to dig a well for me to fill it. So I spent the Friday, uh, I spent the, the Friday. no luck, it was too late in the day. But on the Monday, I found myself phoning around the schools. And the first court school I phoned was the local Catholic school, primary school. And that was in the morning. They asked if I could come around that afternoon and bring some baptism certificates. We were there at 3 three-ish. By four o'clock, we had uniform. The next day, they started school. Very hard, but actually had to come back to him. We tried to do it all ourselves. Had to come back to him and say, how do you want to do this? What's it going to look like? Oh, let let me let you surprise me. Wouldn't that be a nice way of starting your day? Dear Lord... Let me, let you, surprise me. That would be good. Because you say, I'm your child, and I'm going to trust you for the things that I need today. So in conclusion, I'm just coming to a few thoughts, really. I wonder how you respond when things don't go as, they pl- as you hoped. I wonder, how, uh, I wonder what would have happened if Sarai had waited. Would she have had her child sooner? The friction was avoidable. I wonder if we really think about what might happen before we decide what to do, the impact. You know, those little decision trees. If I do this, then what might happen? Can we think about others, the impact on them? I wonder if we've ever realised that every day we replay the Eden story of the fall. The choice to trust God or not. The choice to hear the voice that says, he can't really do it, rather than the voice that says, I love you. Trust me. I wonder if we knew that God was so close. I wonder if we ever thought that he was actually that close that he knows what we're going through, and he knows what we're like. In the New Testament, Jesus came and declared, the kingdom of God is at hand. He meant within reach, not far, right there. Kingdom of God is at hand. He knows. And I wonder if we can read these words in Hebrews and understand that that's who we are. The writer of Hebrews, and I'll I'll argue it was Paul, Um, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. But instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. We're not there yet. Beginning of this story, Sarah and Abraham aren't there yet. But what we learn is we're not there yet, but God is never far. Shall we pray?